Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week, we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. everyone. Well, it has been such a blessing to study the first five chapters of Revelation with you. Hi, this is Dr. Paula McDonald. We are in Exhale Bible Discovery, where we are studying the book of Revelation chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today, we are discovering chapter six. So John's heavenly experience has truly set the stage prior to the seals being opened by the one and only who is worthy and that is Jesus. We will journey into the opening of the first six seals. We need to remember as we take a look into these warnings and judgments that as believers, our fate is sealed with him. You guys, we have nothing to fear. Yet, to understand the God that we serve, we have to comprehend justice. And there has to be consequences for those who choose to deny God's gift to the world, his precious son, Jesus Christ. Not only the denial of his son, but of his gift of salvation, his redemption, and his love. God's instructions have been clear. He is a just God. And those who continue to defy and deny him, they will be dealt with. And just as we are loving parents to our own children, we know we must correct them when they do wrong. If we allow them to continue to misbehave, they will grow up as selfish, disrespectful, and disobedient adults. We teach them and show them the consequences of their behavior because we love them and we desire for them to have happy and productive lives. God, our Father, desires the exact thing for His children. The message of the Bible warns us of those consequences when we willingly choose to ignore, deny, and fly in the face of God, His love, His laws, and His grace. A just God must have consequences, otherwise He would not be just. With justice comes judgment shown in these seven seals. So tonight we're going to dig into chapter 6. I have it into two divisions. Division 1 is the messages of the horsemen, and this is 6, 1 through 8. And the second division is the messages of the martyrs and of the wrath, and that's verses 9 through 17. Okay, so open up your Bibles. Let's get right into it. I'm going to start with the fact that many biblical scholars compare Revelation 6 to what is called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives and begins teaching about the prophecy of these end times. And he opens telling the people that the temple will be destroyed. He tells them no stone will be left on top of the other regarding this temple. And wow, this was quite a statement since the temple was a massive place that encompassed about 35 acres of land. It was a huge complex. So hearing that this temple would be completely destroyed sounded impossible. But we know that in AD 70, the temple indeed was completely destroyed. So the Olivet Discourse is found in Matthew 24, 25, Mark 13, and in Luke 21. Each of these passages records Jesus' own words 
of what is going to happen during the end times. And along with the prediction of destruction of this temple, he shares that there will be false messiahs, wars, famine, and earthquakes. So let's take a look into the Luke 21, 14 through 19. But make up your minds not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed, even by parents, brothers, and sisters, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. I love that. So let's look at these specific verses. And basically it's telling us that we must stay read up and prayed up in order to defend ourselves when the going gets tough. We've got to stay in his word because he will give you his words that cannot be contradicted. This will be Holy Spirit led, which we have been given the gift of. We need to be prepared to be betrayed by those even closest to us or maybe somebody we haven't even met yet, or somebody we've previously trusted, and that we will be despised and hated because of our belief in Jesus. And then finally, he's telling us, stand firm. He will be there for us, and you will have eternal life. When he says you will win life, that means you're going to have eternal life. It's great news. So back to Revelation 6. As Jesus takes the scroll and he begins to open these seals, this is a dramatic moment as the only one worthy begins revealing what must take place that he preached about at the end of his ministry on this earth. This chapter in Revelation opens as the first seal is being opened and John is witnessing our Lord, the worthy one, opening this seal. And when he does, he hears an invitation to come. Verse 1 states, I watched as the Lamb opened seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. With each of these first four seals and these horses, there is a call to come. Back in those days, horses were used with chariots and were announced and summoned to enter the Colosseum. And here, horses are poised to announce these first seals of judgment. All eyes are on the horses. God is in full control and his judgment is coming. The king is on his throne, ready to renounce those who stand against him. So we're going to start with the white horse. And remember the four living creatures depict the various characteristics and characters of Christ. And many different scholars believe the white horse to be a representation of Christ as the victorious one, while others believe that this could represent the Antichrist that we'll read about in Revelation 13. Regarding a false Christ, being able to recognize anyone other than the true Christ will be essential for believers. More than ever, we must know his word, study his word, and trust in his word. Matthew 24, 5 says, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And I do believe this is a warning to all about religious deception. We know there's a tremendous amount of deception occurring now in churches and religious circles. Those who are led astray do so because they do not know their Bible. 
they have not studied the scripture. And with everything that I have been reading, I really believe that this white horse represents Christ as the warrior for all of mankind, because it makes sense for this first horse to lead the way for judgment. And we know that the judge is Christ himself. Verse two says, I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on a conquest. Well, white, we know, always represents purity, free from sin, perfection, and light. And the rider holding a bow clearly tells us that he is prepared for a battle. And just as Christ was described as having a double-edged sword, the bow represents battle readiness. He is prepared to strike. And the crown points to Jesus's royal status in heaven as we saw him depicted at the center of the throne room in chapter 5. And he is riding out as a conqueror bent on a conquest. And we already know that Jesus has won by his sacrifice on the cross as he did conquer death. His conquest now is over for those who continue to deny him, despise him, and to defy him. Okay, <clears throat> moving to the red horse. In verse three, when the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And here, Jesus opens the next seal, and the second creature, which we know from a couple of chapters back is the ox, gives the invitation to come. And remember, the ox represents the strength of Christ. Verse four continues, then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. And red signifies power, might, destruction, and mayhem. This seal and judgment says the power to take peace from the earth. Just for a minute, imagine where there is a world with zero peace, a complete absence of love and goodness. And without peace, mercy, grace, and Christ, people have no hope and nothing to remind them of the consequences for their actions. Therefore, when peace is removed completely out of this world, people will roam and do as they please. And this includes the horrors of killing one another just because they feel like it. So the large sword represents the destruction and mass deaths that will follow when there is no more peace on this earth. That could line up with a rapture when all the people of Christ are raptured up into heaven and now there's no peace or goodness on the earth. It points to that, but you know, it doesn't say it for sure. So remember the seals are being opened and read at this moment in John's revelation. And it does not mean it's happening at that very moment. These readings of the seals are telling us what will happen in those last days. And as believers, we know that our only source of true peace comes from Christ. He alone provides the peace in our hearts when things appear to be spinning out of control. It is his peace. We must cling to it now more than ever as we experience an ever-changing world going on right beneath us. Jesus told his disciples and to us in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And then John 16, says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome 
the world. So as we witness Christ's peace being removed daily from our world, our government, our schools, and even in churches, we must not take our eyes off the only peace that amounts to anything, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're moving into the black horse. And in verse 5, when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Now Jesus opens the third seal and the third living creature who represents the face of a man. And so the man we know means Christ who came to earth in the form of a man to dwell amongst us. Black, you know, it represents death and destruction, dismay and disease. And did you know that the color black is really the absence of light? So we're looking at death here. Now let's look at that pair of scales referred to as judgment and justice. Christ is the ultimate judge and jury. And those who have continued to deny him at some point will face him and will be judged. So verse 6 continues, Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and wine. This can be a really confusing verse, but when you break it apart, I think you'll see what awesome news this has. This verse begins with to warn of a coming famine and the scarcity of food and of actual food prices going through the roof. Do we see that right now? We certainly are. And the good news for believers, though, is that Jesus paid the debt of sin for those who believe in him. And some biblical scholars believe this passage also provides us as believers with the news that whenever barley is mentioned in the Old Testament, the outcome always resulted in the Israelites, which that's us as believers, receiving protection and deliverance from hunger and death. You can go to the jewishencyclopedia.com and read more about this. It's quite fascinating. The mention of a day's wages refers to what was called a denarius. And guess how many times it's mentioned in scripture? You got it, seven times. The denarius was a coin during the New Testament times. And the seven mentions all provide a lesson and message of a debt being paid. Matthew 18:28 the parable of the unforgiving servant Matthew 22:19 about the paying of imperial tax to Caesar Mark 14:5 Jesus is anointed by the sinful woman at Bethany Mark 6:37 Jesus feeding the 5000 and Luke 10:25 is the parable about the good Samaritan and then, of course, the seventh one is Revelation 6, as the third seal is open. They're talking about a debt being paid in each one of these stories. How all this relates to the seal is clear when the oil and wine are mentioned. The verse tells us not to damage these things. In Luke, the good Samaritan bandaged the man's wounds and poured oil and wine on them. Oil and wine signify the Holy Spirit and the blood of Christ, which brings cleansing, healing, and life to us. And as believers, we are to carry the oil of the Spirit and the message of the blood of Christ to bring cleansing, healing, and life to those who have been wounded by this life. And remember, we are his priests, and these are priestly duties. As we see suffering and hardship in this world, know that Christ has us in the palm of his hands. He paid the debt for those who believe in him. The spiritual famine is also something that we are seeing 
firsthand right now. Feed on the word of God and never be hungry again. John 6.35 says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. All right, on to the pale horse, verses 7 through 8. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades, was following close behind him. And they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. And remember, the fourth living creature is the eagle, the all-seeing eyes. The word pale in the Greek language is chloros, C-H-L-O-R-O-S. And it's a greenish, grayish color, and it represents the color of death and sickness. And the result of famine will be sickness and death. And when people are devoid spiritually, they are very, very sick. And a physical plague is depicted as the seal is open. And death in Hades means exactly what you think. Utter destruction and immense death toll. Hades is mentioned in Luke 10.15. You will go down to Hades. And also in Luke 16.33, in Hades, where he was in torment. Hades is not a place any of us wants to find ourselves. Hell and Hades mean constant torment, the absence of love and light, pain, torture, decay, and without any hope, not a good place. And so the verse then says they were given a power over the fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, plague, wild beasts. And while this statement is quite sobering, let's look at the order of these things. Well, first it mentions the sword, and so that's war, killing, murder. Next, you have famine. And so it makes sense that a world torn apart by war would no doubt be left with a food shortage. And then the plague. And as a result of no food or scarcity of food, now you've got pestilence and disease running rampant. And then finally, the wild beasts. And as all of these things, you've got all this death happening, there will be wild animals searching for food and prey on anything, just like the humans that are left will be. And as scary as all this sounds, Jesus tells his believers, he's telling you and I, to take heart and not be afraid. But God will not be mocked. His patience goes only so long. He struck down Sodom and Gomorrah, and the great flood of Noah's times are just a few examples of God finally saying, enough. As loving and patient as he is, he has limits. And as we discussed at the beginning of the lesson, he is just. Therefore, he must punish the unjust. So these first four seals now set the stage for the final three seals. Jesus is in charge as the judgment on the world commences. He is on the throne. He is in command. And he is the ultimate justice to those who have killed him, mocked him, denied him, and have no time for him. So your truth bomb, Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, leads the end times with complete justice. And your call to action, are you secure in your relationship with him? How can you remain at peace when the world appears to be completely upside down? Okay, we're moving into the second division, and this is the messages of the martyrs and the wrath. The final verses in this chapter take us through the fifth and sixth seals, 
Verse 9 begins with, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. So we now switch from the four horsemen to the altar. And we've discussed the altar of incense and the altar of sacrifice in the Old Testament. And we know the altar was in the temple in the Holy of Holies, which was only accessible to the priest. Now we have John watching as those who were killed because of Christ. And these men and women never relinquish their faith, even in the face of torture and death. And so these souls now are safely under the altar of God. They are safe in the most holy of holy places. God's very feet, his altar. And so now we hear a question from the martyred ones in verse 10. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? These souls ask the question that those of us in Christ ask today. Oh, Lord, how much longer? And as we continue to see God mocked, for all that he has established, mocking marriage, gender, sexual purity, we too desire to see justice. God has been mocked since Eve first listened to that serpent in the garden. False gods have been erected and worshipped, and people have chosen to be their own God and continue to ignore his guidelines and laws. We live in a fallen world, but as believers, we have the victorious blood of Christ We are so loved intensely by him, and he desires for all to come to him willingly. It is his decision and his perfect timing when he says, enough. So verse 11, then each was given a white robe, told to wait a little longer until the full number of fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Ah, Really, the first part of verse 11 is beautiful because it discusses the reward of those who remain in Christ. We are given a white robe because we have been washed clean from sin. The cross redeemed each of us, and we can rest in this truth. But we are told to wait a little longer and told God is not finished. He still has work to do, and he will determine when the full number has been reached. Verses 12 through 14, I watched as he opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black as sackcloth made of goat hair. The moon turned blood red. Stars fell to the earth as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Wow, a lot is going on as this sixth seal is open. It begins with a great earthquake, and the Bible has many references of earthquakes during big heavenly events. Exodus 19:18 says that Mount Sinai trembled violently. Zechariah 14:3-5 describes fleeing due to an earthquake. And then in Matthew 27:51 through 53 describes the earthquake when Christ is crucified. And we know earthquakes can cause volcanoes to erupt and fires to break out. And so John was witnessing these events, and we aren't certain if he's speaking figuratively or literally, but the common accepted message of the sixth seal is that there will be events that will be noticed by everyone on this earth. All will be affected as the earth will be hit with a major catastrophe and destruction. Ash, we know from volcanoes and fires, will turn the sky dark and blots out the sun. 
We saw this happen right after the death of Christ. The final verses 15 through 17, Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? Every category here of man is mentioned because no one is going to escape the coming punishment. Doesn't matter who you are. As the world caves in around them, those who are still left on the earth will seek a safe place to hide. And at this point, those who have denied Christ will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is who he said he was. He will no longer be in question. But as this scripture says, there will be many who refuse to look upon him. These people will continue in their firm stance of denial of him, even when they know it is he. Do you know people like this today? Even with the evidence that we have, the life he offers, and the eternity he desires to have with us, many will continue in their own pride to say no to him. So your truth bomb is, as believers, we desire justice for Jesus, and many will continue in their own pride to deny him. And your call to action, whom are you sharing the gospel of Christ with in order that they will not die without knowing the King of Kings? In your summary, these six seals of judgment are sobering. They should have our full attention. Things in this world are going to get worse as multitudes of people will continue to mock God, and that's increasing. But take heart, God is in control. Your subject sentence is, Jesus is the mighty and just warrior who always wins. You guys, take heart. Don't be dismayed. Keep your eyes focused on Christ because he is the only one that we know for certain has our backs and that we will live with him in eternity, no matter what happens. Blessings to you. Have a great week. We'll see you again in chapter seven. Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com. Click on podcast and then exhale Bible discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode.